0: This sermon, I'm going to jump right in because I probably, you're going to say I probably could have three-parted this thing, but uh, man, it's Father's Day. This is special. I'm going to give you all just the biggest dose of, uh, of scripture and word, and I pray that, that it speaks to your heart uh, like it has mine over the years. So let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you so much that you paid it all, that the only reason we're here is because you came here and chose to live among sinful people and live a perfect life and give yourself as a ransom for many. And here I stand as one who's just knelt at the foot of the cross and said, Lord, will you forgive me? Will you come into my heart? Will you make me brand new? Will you work in my life? And Lord, you've said yes, and you've granted my request. And Lord, it's just an awesome thing to stand here changed for the better. Uh, to stand here saved and to know, Lord, that your love is just poured out upon me, Lord. And all I pray is that every man in this room, Lord, takes a little bit more of a step, becoming mighty, that we leave here a little bit more in love with you than when we came in. So open up our ears, our hearts and minds, Lord, that we can see, hear and know. And open up our hearts, Lord, that we may just leave here loving you even more. There's nobody like you. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, here we go. The mighty man. And the question is, are you a mighty man? And I'm going to start in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Um, I use the King James Version in this part right here, because it's got the one, the, the words ...that I like to read. If you have an NIV, it will say something like the hero. And, uh, you know, hero sounds pretty cool. But this one says mighty man. And that's where I've, I've driven, I've, I've gotten all of this this from. I'm going to work a whole sermon just around being the mighty man. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah, the stay and the seth. What he's talking about, this is before Isaiah received the vision and said, Lord, here I am, send me. This is the kind of thing that uh, he's paying attention to. As, as, you, um, as judgment comes on a nation, these are the things that happen, okay? So this is before, you know, Babylon took over Israel. This is, these are the things that happen. The Lord, the Lord of hosts, he's the one that does this. He takes away from Jerusalem, from, Ju- from Judah, the stay and the staff, which is the supply and the support, okay? Now, you know, you can make the own inferences as you want, but the supply, the stay, you know, America used to be a producer of stuff. You know, we used to be the ones to send stuff out to other countries. And now we've outsourced those jobs, and everything we get is made in some other country. And uh, the staff, which is the support, okay? A country, when they're under judgment, starts to lose their support system, and maybe the people that are governing, the officials, don't look out for them quite like other people used to. Maybe they don't honor this country and the God that we say we serve in this country as the support starts to dwindle away. The whole stay of bread, food becomes more expensive and harder to get. And the whole stay of water, water supply, you kind of start seeing becoming more and more scarce. These are the things that happen. And he takes away, look, the mighty man. He takes away men who are mighty, the man of war, the judge. And I want you to think of judges like in the book of Judges. You know, when you start thinking about the Sampsons and those guys who delivered um, who delivered Israel from the hands of their enemies, the prophet, the prudent, which is the wise And the ancient, these people start dwindling away. You start seeing less and less of them. The captain of 50... You know, where you have 50 men who are willing to do whatever the captain tells them to do. The honorable man, people will start to be more, I'm in it for what I want and what I can get out of it. And they'll they'll cut corners to make a little extra profit. They don't mind who they hurt to get to the next level on that ladder of the chain of of success. The counselor, the cunning artificer, and the... And the eloquent orator. And I will give children to be their princes. And babes shall rule over them. I will give children to to be their oppressors. And, you know, I start to think about that. And just what I've seen in 17 years in the classroom. That, you know, whereas when I was there, we didn't talk back to a teacher. We didn't do any. I mean, we sat there quietly and did what they said. And now it's starting... To switch, the shift is becoming to where kids start to rule in their homes, where their parents, you know, no longer are they told no. And you start seeing these kind of things happen more and more as judgment from God comes upon a nation. Because who's taking this stuff away? The Lord, the Lord of hosts. And the people shall be oppressed, everyone by another, and everyone by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient they will start telling their parents and their elders and people they should respect they'll start telling them you listen to me i rule the place you do what i tell you to do you get me what i want when i want it these these things you start seeing as judgment comes upon a nation and so when i thought about that word mighty man you know what am i I thought about what it means to be a mighty man. And, the, and David actually coined the, this phrase, the mighty man. And it comes from 2 Samuel chapter 23, starting in verse 8. Start 2 Samuel 23, starting in verse 8. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. The heading is called David's mighty men. Joseph, Joseph Bashabeth a was chief of the three. So he had these three main dudes that he called mighty men because of what they did. This dude raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. I'm like, man, they got to make a movie about this dude. I can't even pronounce his name. But that's just going to be awesome, you know? I mean, to me, that's like Russell Crowe stuff right there, you know? It's like, are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? (laughs) You know? All right, now please raise your hand if you're a dude and know what I'm talking about. All right, yes, there are. there's hope for us yet. Next to him was Eliezer, son of Dodai the Ahawite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pasadamim for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eliezer stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Man, this is just cool stuff. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead. I mean, anybody that tells you the Bible is boring, it's crazy, you, can say, you have not read it, dude. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi the Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, okay, we're going to protect some lentils, <laughs> Israel's troop fled from them. But Shammah, took his stand in the middle of the field. You know, you think about that general where, like, there's enemies all around us. So there's enemies to the north, the south, and the east and the west. What are we going to do? Nothing. They can't get away now. You know, that's amazing. Maybe they can't get away because I'm in the middle. He defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines were encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At the time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. Okay? And David makes this observation. He longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors, these dudes I just talked about, broke through the Philistines' lines, drew water from that well David was talking about, and carried it back to him. I mean, all they needed was like, hey, king wants this, this sounds like a great excuse to go throw down on some Philistines, let's do it. And they said, yeah, they all went and they did it. But David, when they brought it back, refused to drink it. Now this is an entirely different sermon. Instead, he pulled it out, poured it out before the Lord, you know, which almost sounds, you know, like disrespectful, but he was offering the Lord a great offering, something that really meant something to him. He says, "I won't take this. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives?" And David wouldn't drink it. Such were the exploits. Of the three mighty warriors. Unbelievable. These three guys. The top three. And David looking back on his life. He said man if I had to pick three. It's these guys. And this is why. And I love to read stuff like that. Okay. And so they chose to give their lives. Do whatever it took for their king. Their country. And their God. Now when David. They're following King David's example okay and I want you to look because David in this sense that we're talking about as far as being a mighty valiant gladiator type warrior he was kind of the first of these guys and so look in first Samuel chapter 16 verse 10 Jesse had seven sons pass before Samuel because Samuel said hey uh, Lord said Sam you're gonna find this guy at the house of Jesse go find the king you know and anoint him but Samuel said to him, the Lord hasn't chosen these. So seven of Samuel of, of Jesse's sons passed before Samuel. He says, Lord I hadn't picked any of these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from, the, from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then you know, went, went to Ramah. So here's this kid that you know, the dad didn't even think enough of him to, even pull, you know, to pull him into his family to be chosen. And when the Lord didn't pick any of the rest of them, he had to bring them in. And then he was anointed king. And I have a sermon I'll probably do next Father's Day, or if I can't wait, it's called, Is There a King in the House? And what that means. And, you know, I've got another sermon, a series of sermons where I talk about the anointing. And when you're anointed to do something, how God will open these doors and, you know, bring you in. To the promise where he wants you and so he was anointed and then all these doors started opening the king king Saul just happened to need a musician and they said man there's a dude that plays out there in the field to his sheep and he's fantastic go get him so we'll find him and bring it in and this guy was so good that demons fled from from the presence when he was praising God. It even made King Saul feel better. And then one day, there's a a whole army gathered, and there's a Philistine taunting them, saying, Hey, send your best guy, and you can fight me because I'm our best guy, and the winner take all. You know, you win, we'll be your slaves. We win, you'll be our slaves. Let's go for it. Nobody wanted a piece of that action. And then David said, I can do it. I'll do it. And people saw just these amazing results from this one little, you know, short, handsome, you know, good-looking kid that his main skill was playing guitar and throwing rocks. And they saw the Lord bring about a mighty victory. And people like these guys that we just talked about saw that and they said i want what that guy has i want what king david has he went out there and gave a speech about the name of the lord god of israel and told that giant he was going to remove his head and feed the rest of his body to the car, to the to the birds and the animals it's like it's insane what just happened and several men said i want what he has and they went after it they wanted to be mighty like him And the one guy I want to camp out with, because as cool as those three stories are, there's one guy that I've come to notice every time, and he's become my favorite because of the more I dig into this. And his name is Benaiah. And this is what 2 Samuel chapter 23, 20 says about him. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Unbelievable. Then he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Joker went in there and beat this giant down with a club and took his spear and killed him. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He, too, was as famous as the three mighty warriors. I guess so with a story like that. So, I want us to go through this, because as cool as that is, got to find applications that apply to us. Because, you know, the last I've checked, I can't go in the Greenville Zoo, you know, and bust down that window and say, Come on, lions. I shall remove your head. You know, I'd get arrested. You know, it'd be crazy. Wouldn't want to do anything like that. So, 2 Samuel... 23, starting in verse 20. Go back to 20 for me. Uh, He's going to have to bounce around a little bit for me. First thing he did, he struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. So this is how this had to play out, okay? He saw David go out there and fight the, the Philistine giant, Goliath. He saw that. So now it's his turn. Here he is in Moab, and they send out their best warrior, And Benaiah comes out there and he sees that it's one-on-one. He says, hey, this has been done before, okay? Who would would you send in the place of this guy if he was sick or couldn't fight today? Well, we would send this guy. Now, both of them, he said, okay, let's make this fair, okay? Because I got the Lord on my side, the God of the armies of Israel. I've already seen him defeat one person. So... I'm going to take on both of you guys at one time. Let's do this. You know, I take on two of y'all. Y'all have twice the advantage and winner take all. And man, he struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. Amazing. So he took what David did and he took it to a new level. He said, yeah, I want what David's got. And if I got what David's got and if God is on my side, I can take down two of these guys Let's go for it. Bring it on. And so, first thing I noticed about that was Moab, okay? What does Moab have to do with anything, okay? And first thing I have to do is give you a little Moab history, okay? And this history comes from Genesis chapter 19, verse 30, all right? Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave, okay? And this is where this gets really kind of R-rated and crazy. But uh, one day, the older daughter said to the younger, our father's old and there's no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the earth, okay? Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father, okay? To which we all say, gross, you know, why would you do that? And... This ain't happening unless, you know, because the Bible did count him as a righteous man. This ain't happening unless they get him wasted, okay? The daughters knew that. So we got to get him to drink. We got to get him drunk. So that night, they got their father to drink wine. The older daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up, okay? So he was really trashed. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight. You go in and sleep with him so we can preserve our line through our father. Okay, so they got their father to drink wine that night also. The younger daughter went in, slept with him, and again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by the father. Now, here it is. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. That's how he came about. He came about through this incestuous, wrong relationship through... That's that's how he was born. He was born out of that, okay? And there's another place where we see Moab. This comes from Judges chapter 3, verse 12. Again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember what we said, when judgment comes upon a nation... You know, that the Lord starts removing all these kind of things. And because they did evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel, getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him. Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. Now, check out what it says about um, Eglon. Is that all I asked you to put on there? The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and gave them a deliverer. Ehud, a left-handed man. Okay, now if that was me interpreting, it would be Ehud, a left-handed dude. All right, okay. So, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, the Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, here's where this gets interesting. Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. Now, this was a big deal because when you, you know, pretty much everybody back then was kind of forced to be right-handed. Everything was made, you know, for a right-handed person to which they would, you know, strap on their left side so they were, they were ready to fight. So when they patted them down, they pretty much only would just, you know, pat down their right leg. But Ehud was a left-handed dude and his would have been over here. And so, you know, when they came into the place, they would have patted him down and said, No, oh, he's clean. But they wouldn't have done this side to which he could do what he does, grab from where he would grab from his sword that he had uh, strapped about to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. Why tell us something like that? He's, I mean, so this is an obese king. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us. And they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said... I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. He killed this king. Even the handle, this is more in detail about how fat this dude was, the handle sank in after the blade, and his bowels discharged, to which we say, gross. Um, Ehud did not pull the sword out, um, and the fat closed in, over it crazy details to be telling us about this Then Ehud went out to the porch he shut the doors the upper room behind him and locked them after he had gone the servants came and found the doors in the upper room locked they said he must be relieving himself because obviously it stunk in there and in the inner room of the palace he must be relieving that's what they all thought they waited to the point of embarrassment but when he did not open the doors of the room they took a key unlocked them There they saw their Lord fallen to the floor, dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed the stone images and escaped to Sarai. When when he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hand. So they followed him down, took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not one escaped that day. Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. So here Ehud is, is one of these mighty men who delivered uh, the Israelites from the king of Moab, who got his start all the way back after the fall of Sodom and Gomorrah, when Lot and his daughters had this incestuous relationship that produced Moab in the first place. So the two things you need to remember about Moab, one, he, he was born out of sexual sin, Okay. Two, their king was very indulgent. Would, you know, obviously had no control over his eating. You know, or the things that he put into his body. But, you know, Ehud conquered him. Benaiah killed two of these guys. Okay? And those are the two places that we hear about them. And that's what they're associated with. Sexual sin and indulging, you know, your body. Now... In the next one, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 20, um, 23, go back to, um, to that one where it talks about what he was doing because here's the second thing that, uh, that he mentions. Um, he also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Now, Benaiah had to have heard that David did the same thing out protecting the field uh, protecting his sheep now in first samuel chapter 17 verse 34 here is what um here's what he tells uh, king saul okay david said to saul your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock i went after it I love that. I didn't run. I didn't try to, let's get out of here. When I saw this happen, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Now, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. You know, you don't understand king judgment's already on this guy because he's against the very God that we serve. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you because he obviously is. So Benaiah hears this story. He says, man, when David saw a lion or a bear, he went after it and he killed it. Now, I don't keep sheep. I don't just sit around in some situation where some lion or bear is probably going to show up. So why don't I go hunting for a lion? So he went in a pit, in a very inconvenient place. On a snowy day, at a very inconvenient time, and he hunted down the lion, and he found one, and he killed it with his bare hands. He said, the Lord is on my Lord David. I want what he has so Lord if you are with me. I know the conditions aren't best, and I'm going into enemy territory, but how about I go out there, and you help me find one, and I will slay a lion. And he did. Okay. The last thing he did, Second Samuel chapter twenty three, verse twenty two, it says, He killed a huge Egyptian. Okay, oh sorry, back one more. It says, He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Okay? Now let's go back and look at what David did. First Samuel chapter seventeen. Verse 50 and 51, okay? So David triumphed, triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Okay? So David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistine saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. The enemies scattered. So Beniah says, well, you know what? When David killed the giant, he went in there with a slingshot and a rock. And he ended up taking Goliath's very huge weapon and he killed him with it. So, Beniah, when he comes up against a huge Egyptian, what does he do? He says, I'm going to do like David. I'm going to take in an inferior weapon, I'm going to take a club. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to beat down that Egyptian. I'm going to take his spear and I'm going to kill him with it. That's what God did for David. He'll do the same thing for me if I go in there in his power and his might. And he does. He accomplishes this very thing. He killed a huge Egyptian. Now let's start with the application of this, okay? Because, yeah, that's all well and good, okay? But that's not what we're going to go out here and do. We're not going out and killing any Egyptians. We're not going out here and doing this. But how does this apply to us and our lives? Well, let's start with the Egyptian. We have this thing In us, after we become saved, that I don't know if it ever goes away that says, let's go back to Egypt where we were. Life was better when you were partying and being immoral and doing stuff you shouldn't do. Think of the friends that you had. Think of the good times that you had. Let's go back. And the Israelites were no better. Look at what they did in Exodus chapter 16, verse 3. And this is just one of them that I found. You can find as many of these as you want. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand back in Egypt. They're saying, I wish we would got killed back there when we were slaves. They were, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. And you know that those Egyptians didn't give them all the food that they wanted. I mean, what are they remembering here? And ate all the food wanted, but you have brought us out here in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They're complaining, and they've been delivered, and they've seen God's mighty hand split the Red Sea. They've seen him do these unbelieve they've seen him send the plagues. They've seen him do these mighty, mighty things, and they're out in the desert on their way to the promised land. But they're remembering back in Egypt, and they want to go back. And in my years of being a Christian, this has not seemed to go away. There's always some enemy right there saying, Hey, you know, you had it better back then. Why are you fighting? You don't have to try this hard. You know, you can just be saved. You can still go to heaven. You don't have to study the Word. You don't have to fight these enemies like this. And that constant battle always goes on. And something in you thinks it was better back then. But that's why we have to do like Benaiah and say, Listen... I was a slave to my desires and my lusts back then. he's brought me out of that. There's no way I'm ever going back to that old life. So slay that huge Egyptian. And then it says, he went into a pit on a on a snowy day and killed a lion. Okay Now in First Peter chapter five, verse eight through ten be alert and sober mind your enemy the devil we do have an enemy we have demons we have there's devils there's people out there that want us to separate us from being close with god they want to make us unmighty okay your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and he will only devour the weak. Can he devour somebody that said, I'm never going back to Egypt. You can bring all that stuff back in front of my eyes. You can remind me of all those temporary pleasures that, yes, I used to enjoy, but I'm never going back. Find something else to come at me with because I'm not falling for that one. Well, can, can he, can he, can he get that guy? No, he can't resist him standing firm. In the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing these same kind of sufferings, you're not experiencing anything that other people aren't aren't experiencing. Stand firm and resist the devil. And one of the ways we can do this, slay that huge Egyptian. The other thing that we can do is we can go in a pit. Okay. I hear people say all the time, well, it's real hard for me to serve God, you know, at work. Okay? They, you know, I hear all these bad jokes. It's hard to not be a part of all that. And listen, it's hard for it's especially at the alternative school, it was very very hard. I mean, in a sense, it was a pit because it was very hard to go in there and honor the Lord in that environment. But that's where it was. That's where I went to. So go in that pit. On a snowy day, at a very inconvenient time, you know, tomorrow's our favorite time to do anything, but today is the present, okay? Can you go in there tomorrow to work, and can you honor Him, and can you work like you're working for Him and not for people? And know that one day you will receive a reward for your work, and this, this is whether you're a student, whether you're, you work somewhere, it doesn't matter. Go in there and honor Him in what you do at a very inconvenient time. It's never going to get easier, you know. Well, I got a family right now, and I can't do this. Of course, you're always going to find a reason not to go, you know, not to go in there and fight. Well, you know, I got this going on, and I got that going on. Of course it's gonna always uh, there'll always be a reason in there for things to stay inconvenient in a in a in a time like that and so go into this place that's the application in a pit in a place you're not necessarily the this ideal environment on a snowy day at a time that's not very convenient and Hunt down the lion. Remember what David said? When one of these guys came near, I went down and hunted it. This changes the entire dynamic of this. I don't sit around anymore and wait on demons to come after me and then pray for healing and then pray for blessing and pray for turnaround. No, why don't I get up tomorrow... And pray when I don't necessarily feel like it, when I'd rather go back to bed, when I would do this and go in there and read this Bible and say, Lord. In your name, will you put a hedge of protection about me and my family? And will you bind the devil? Will you bind that roaring lion? He can't touch me. He can't touch my family. Let him just be thwarted. Every which way he turns, I cancel his assignment. He cannot get any and take an offensive approach to the devil and his demons instead of waiting around to be destroyed by him. Remember, he killed two of Moab's best men and probably two of the best things that the devil has to turn mighty men into weak men is the very thing that we learned about in Genesis and in Judges. That sexual temptation will bring a man down quicker than anything. So is the devil going to be able to devour a man that says, Listen, I've been there, I've done that, I'm never going back to that filth, to that junk. I'm going to love my wife, I'm only going to have eyes for her. I'm going to love her and whatever you bring before my eyes. If I have to, I'll take the computer and I will throw it up against the wall, I will destroy it. That stuff is never going to touch me, so you better come at me with something else, devil, because I'm a mighty man of God, I'm mighty through him and I'm not going here. Is the devil going to be able to touch a guy like that? No way. And the other thing was eagle on him being a very fat man. And we don't mind today putting whatever into our bodies. You know, just, just whatever. And we have all kinds of addiction. Junk food addiction, nicotine addiction, pill addictions. We have all that kind of stuff. And we don't like for any supply of that kind of stuff. You can have as much of that stuff as you want. But what if? what about the man that says, I don't allow any of that into my body? If it ain't good for me, I'm against that kind of stuff. In the name of the Lord, I'm only going to put the wrath. I'm not going to be excessive like like the king of, eagle, you know, King Eagline. I'm not going to be like the king of Moab. I'm going to slay that desire in me. And it may be a daily battle, and sometimes I might fail, and sometimes I might win. But in the name of the Lord, I'm going to pick this battle, and I'm going to be like Benaiah, and I'm going to slay both of these things. And guys, have I taken a breath? This is crazy. But man, I just hope that through listening to this, that it stirs in you what it stirred in me. That I don't have to be like everybody else. That this whole God thing is not just to show up on Sunday kind of thing and get my ears tickled and leave and just wait around, get beat up through the week, hate going to work, sit there on the TV and flip through the channels every time I get a chance, just lay there and be sorry. Man, I got to be proactive About this, I got to be proactive about my relationship with the Lord. I got to chase after him. He has to be the most important thing in my life. I have to love him more than anybody or anything else. And that is very hard. I'm not sitting here saying, I've got all this together. I'm preaching to myself. I am jacking myself up. I'm standing here saying, let's do this this week together. And as the band comes up, I have one simple invitation that I want us to do. Um, I want us to, to gather around right here. Let's make this an altar. I don't want any heads bowed. I don't want any eyes closed. And I want the men in this room, in front of their families, in front of their children, and say, man, I'm going to take after Beniah, And I'm going to go after the things of God with my whole heart. Maybe you've seen me act or you've seen me behave in a way that was contrary, but from this day forward, I'm getting up and I'm going to war against the things of this world that the world constantly bombards me saying I just have to have. I'm going to war against that stuff and I'm going to slay me I'm going to slay me to Moabites. I'm going to slay me a huge Egyptian. I'll go after that lion in a pit on a snowy day. And I'll find me a lion and I'll destroy it. Because I'm the spiritual leader of my family. And it's my job to protect you. To put a covering of prayer around you. So that the devil can't touch you. He has to do like Job. And go before God and beg him to do anything to you. And if it does get allowed. It's just going to be like Job and you will end up at the end in a better place than you were at the beginning. That's the faith and the trust that we have to have in our God, our Father in heaven. Is there anybody else you'd rather have your life in his hands than our Father in heaven? Happy Father's Day. Join me if you will.